All right, I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got longtime sports broadcaster, former NFL defensive back, currently with SiriusXM and Pro Football Focus. I want to welcome along Solomon Wilcott. Solomon, how's everything going? Zach, everything's doing great, and uh, great to be on with it today. Appreciate it. So if I would have told you six months ago that, that the Washington football team would be 1-0, what would you have thought? Uh, yeah, I would say, go, you mean Philly opening up with the Eagles? <laughs> no, probably not going to happen. But, you know, I, I've always said, even coming in, I said their greatest assets are along that defensive line with the multitude of first-round picks, even probably greater than what the San Francisco 49ers have. And that's exciting. Really? Yeah, but when you look at five first-round picks and now through, you throw Chase Young in that mix, that's the equivalent to them adding Nick Bosa last year, right? And then I look at Ron Rivera and how he's always built his defenses from front to back. And you got to understand who Ron Rivera is. He's a disciple of Buddy Ryan. He's a disciple of the great Jimmy Johnson. And I know he was cultivated amongst those great defensive coaches and that he's always had a great mind of how to disrupt your protections up front and put pressure on the opposing quarterback. Were you, do you think it also had to play in that Philly's offensive line was decimated beyond repair? Or do you it, think was, it was all the makings of what we would call a perfect storm. Right? <laughs> There's no doubt, you know, you lose Andre Dillard, you, you lose Brandon Brooks. Lane and Johnson Lane didn't play. Yes. Just before the game. And then you're going up against these guys. And, oh, by the way, they were feeling emotional about their coach. Jack Del Rio. And let's not forget about what he brings to the table. A former player, excellent coach in his own right. It, it, was, a, it was a cauldron. It was like a perfect storm. And, unfortunately, Carson Wentz got caught in the middle of it. <laughs> was that the biggest surprise of you week one, or did something else catch your attention? No, that, that caught my attention big time. Now, the Arizona game probably was the biggest surprise because with what they did to that offense and um, in terms of turning back Jimmy Garoppolo and, you know, the former NFC Conference champion, um, for them to go on the road and the Arizona Cardinals, year two for Kyler Murray, and to really be able to enforce – their will on that 49ers defense and the way that DeAndre Hopkins played. Uh, and no, that, that was probably the shock heard around the NFL. Just that because they're out on the West Coast and it's Arizona, I don't know that people are really paying attention, but I, I think sooner or later they're going to catch your attention. And there's poor air quality, which the, the records will not show. That's I, right. I was, I was reading all the Arizona all the Arizona and San Francisco Chronicle upsets. I'm like, all right, how's the air quality? I literally I went to the little temperature thing on my phone. I did Santa Clara, San Francisco. I'm like, how's this going to be all right? Because honestly, I was surprised they didn't flip it to yeah. Arizona since they could just play in San Fran later in the year. But I guess they felt it was going to be okay. Yeah, they felt like it was going to be okay. They are, you know, they're a little more inland than where they used to be. Yeah. And, that causes a little problem, but I think they felt like it was going to be okay. According to the players, they never felt compromised for their breathing. And so the NFL got away with one. It turned out to be a good call. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that it's been great. It's going to be interesting Thursday night. I think I saw that the Bengals new kickers, the Browns old kickers. So we already have something to talk about. Um, but I want to ask you a little bit about um, your early career. So how, how did you end up at Colorado? That's a good one. You know, I grew up in Compton, California, um, went to high school out in Riverside, California. And even though I had opportunity now, when it came time to look at universities and colleges, I had a lot of them coming at me. 
um, you know, the Pac-10 at the time, which is now the Pac-12, had a lot of California schools, which is, I, you know, I love this great state of California, born and raised there in Los Angeles. And, but I wanted something a little bit different. And once I went over the, that mountain range and I saw Boulder, Colorado, wow, it just struck me. And, and I just knew that was the place for me. And I looked at the schedule. We played a lot of the Pac-10 schools, but then we were also playing Nebraska and Oklahoma. And that, it just, to me, it just, it reminded me of the NFL. It was a physical style of play. Well, at the same time, we got to play Pac-10 schools that threw the ball a lot. So that reminded me of NFL play. So I, the schedule was great. It allowed me to go to a good academic institution while still playing at a program that played at a very high level. And I knew I'd get to be part of building something that was very special. And all of those things, um, you know, they all tended to play a part in who I ultimately became in my adult life. Were you just focused on college at the time or was the NFL on your radar? No, I was just focused on college, but I knew the NFL was probably in the far distant, distant, distant future. But I wanted to keep that door open. But more importantly, I thought that I would be living um, in the Denver area. I thought that um, living and going to school in Boulder would open up, you know, career opportunities in the Denver metropolitan area. Didn't know that that would lead to football, but more in business and in other things. I saw that as a growing area, as part of our country. Lo and behold, I turned out to be right, because it turned out to be one of the fastest growing cities and fastest growing states in the country. And now you go there, uh, man, it's a beautiful place. I still vacation there. I learned how to ski. So I take my kids there back to Vail. Uh, we go skiing every single year. And so it's a, it's a wonderful part of my life. And it's maintained. I've maintained that. I continue to go back each and every year multiple times. Does the high elevation hit you every time you go, or are you kind of used to it by now? I'm used to it, but I remember when I was in college now, you, you know, I needed an oxygen tank. You, know? <laughs> you better be prepared for it. There's no doubt. I, I heard, I've, I've heard people say you drink one beer, it feels like six. That's right. That's right. Wow. Good thing for me, I don't drink beer anymore. So, <laughs> there we know, go. That's one way I've gotten over yeah. the altitude thing. Yeah. <laughs> so so what, what, what was your draft process kind of like? What, where did you kind of see yourself going? What was that whole, whole situation like? You know, by the time I left the University of Colorado, we were going to bowl games. You know, I helped them go to a couple of bowl games. And, you know, we had uh, cracked the top 25. We had did all those things and came one uh, game shy, one win shy of going to an Orange Bowl. But we still played at a very high level. Um, and so, I, you know, I went to the NFL scouting combine, did really well. I missed out on the All-Star games because I got the invitations late. So I was invited to the Senior Bowl, invited to the East-West Shrine game. And I thought I would play in those games, but they had already been played. Um, and so it was unfortunate I didn't get a chance to showcase my talents there. So I just knew that, you know what, I would get drafted. Didn't know where. I said, any team takes a flyer on me, they're going to get themselves a really good football player. And the Bengals called my house. Um, during the eighth round, it was Coach Dick LeBeau. And he said, you're a really good football player. Um, you're going to have every chance to make this team. Don't worry about where you were drafted, even though they had drafted three other defensive backs before me, <laughs> one in the second. They probably told everybody the same thing. They probably told them all the same thing. It was a second-round pick, third-round pick, and, and a sixth-round pick. And I was the eight. I was the final DB. <laughs> so, but you know what? It all worked out because they kept two of us, and I was one of the two. 
And um, and it was wonderful. And so the very next year, we ended up going to a Super Bowl, and I was our starting free safety. So, but no, it worked out great. And I, you know, I tell people all the time, I said, if I died and came back, I'm going back to the University of Colorado. I would sign up to go there all over again because I got a great education. I made lifelong friends, and it opened the door. Um, for an entree for a great life after college. And, and uh, I owe them a lot uh, for that. I have a question. Who, who's the toughest guy for you to tackle in your whole career? Oh, it was by far Barry Sanders. Now, I have a story because I was a senior at the University of Colorado when Barry was a freshman at Oklahoma State. And, every, and we played him every single year. And every single year, you know, I coach, he got up. He said, every year we come in there, I tell you, we got to stop Thurman Thomas. And, we're, and you're right. We got to stop him. He said, if you happen to stop him, got another guy that's going to come in and he's better. And we're thinking, oh, God, Adam, no way. No guy's better than Thurman Thomas. And sure enough, so we go out, we're playing Oklahoma State, and we, we punt to this little short guy. He's down there. He. They put him back to return a punt. Barry Sanders did something like this. <laughs> and he scores a touchdown. He runs it back about 60, 75 yards. We all came back with our tongues wagging. Coach was right. That dude's better. <laughs> He's better. That was my introduction to Barry Sanders. And then you play against him in the NFL, you're like, that? He was tougher to tackle than Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson. Marcus Allen, and they were all tough to tackle. But that guy was like, it was just like grabbing air, you know? He was a mirage. <laughs> One minute he's there, the next minute he's gone. Does anybody in the league today even remind you of a glimpse of him? You know, yeah. I, I, you know, there's a Christian McCaffrey, right? Um, you know, he can break ankles. He can break ankles, man. You know, he's a Colorado kid, so I'm partial, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, so. yeah. No, hey, Christian McCaffrey, man. He is now Alvin Kamara reminds me of Marcus Allen. Interesting. You never see anyone get a solid shot on Alvin Kamara. He just glides, man. It's like he's on ice skates. If you just watch him now, it's like he's on ice skates. And then when he's got the power, but it's subtle. He's got moves, but they're subtle. He's got the quickness and the power and everything. He just got this move about him that you're never going to get a good solid shot. That's how Marcus Allen was. You thought you had him, but you never quite had him. You know? And that's how Alvin Kamara, he's the most, one of the most slippery offensive players in the entire NFL. I love watching him play. Yeah, it's, it's, he's incredible. I know Brady didn't like playing him yesterday, but uh, or two days ago. He, <laughs> That's right. We were more excited to see him than, than Tom was. But uh, <laughs> so I have a question. So when did you kind of know you wanted to uh, pivot into broadcasting? You know, I remember when I was uh, going off to college. That was that summer, and I remember my mom, she said, so what do you want to study? What do you want to – I said, oh, that's easy. I want to study broadcasting. I want to be a sports, a sports reporter. And she looked, she looked at me. She said, but you don't talk. Because I <laughs> – and she was right. Now, you know, your mother knows you as well as anyone. I was very shy as a kid. I didn't – because I had three older brothers. You know, if you talked out of turn, pop, you get smacked upside the head, chop, boy, you know. And so I learned to just keep my opinion to myself. And uh, that's kind of the environment I grew up in with three older brothers. 
So my mom was like, you don't talk. I said, mom, it'll be okay. You know, I, <laughs> because I loved, I uh, loved history. I loved English literature. I read a lot. And I, every year, um, you know, Sports Illustrated, Sports Athlon, and there was all these periodicals and publications. It was the only way that you got to even study for the draft because draft wasn't televised. The only way you got to know about your teams coming into every season. So as a, even as a, you know, a fourth, fifth, sixth grader, even all the way through junior high school, I would go and buy all the periodicals every spring, every summer. As soon as they came out, they were like my Bible. And when, when I left to go off to college, I had stacks of them in my, in my bedroom from years of just, you know, studying the NFL, studying the draft, reading all the stories about different players, where they came from, how they grew up. And so I just loved storytelling. I loved writing. Um, it was the thing that I wanted to do for fun. And so when I went off to college, I studied English literature and went and studied in our journalism department at the University of Colorado. And so it was just a good fit for me. It was something I thoroughly enjoyed um, in my spare time. I, is it true I saw you, you became a weekend sports anchor in Cincinnati? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've never heard of a former player. They always had like an analyst type of role. I've never heard that before. Do you know any other former players that had to do weekend sports anchor? No, but I, I tell all of them it's a way to get started. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's, but, you know, it's what I wanted to do. I, it didn't even have to be football. I learned to cover sports you never even heard of. Like what? It's like orienteering. Have you ever heard of what orienteering? I had to go cover an orienteering event. That's where they drop you off with a blindfold in the middle of nowhere. And you have to orient yourself. And you have to collect all these different things. You're given a list of things that you've got to collect while you orient yourself and make your way back to the home base, which could be a hundred miles away, all on foot, all on foot in the forest, in the desert, in these remote places. It's, a, it's one of the great sports you never heard of. I covered it, but I also covered, I loved college basketball. I covered major league uh, baseball. I covered the NCAA tournament for about 10 years. Um, got to know all the great college basketball coaches from Bobby Knight to Rick Pitino um, to um, John Calipari, uh, the late great Skip Prosser when he was at Xavier, then went to Wake Forest, uh, Bob Huggins, who's at University of Cincinnati. Mick Cronin is one of the great dear friends of mine who's now even coaching at UCLA. Uh, Tubby Smith when he was at Kentucky. So I got to cover a lot of those guys, spent a lot of time with college basketball, obviously covered the NFL uh, a lot of high school football, right, if you're working in local TV. I covered a lot of the Sean Alexander games in Boone County, Kentucky, when he was in high school. And I got to cover all of his high school games. And they were a treat because he was a great player. I'm still thinking of this orienteering thing, and I'm trying to think if, if they moved the Washington football team, gave up on football, joined that, if they'd still go 7-9. and nine. So <laughs> That's right, Zach. <laughs> No, that's that's what that's incredible. I feel like Sean Alexander is one of the most overlooked MVPs of all time. No doubt, he was a true football player, and and in the old school, like a tailback that if you gave it to him thirty times, he was going to get you close to one twenty-five to a buck fifty, maybe even one seventy-five, and at least a multiple touchdown day. 
Okay, now you can track that through high school and all the big schools wanted him. And I know it came down to Notre Dame and Alabama. And he ended up going to Alabama. And in short order, he became their star running back. And I still think he holds a lot of school records there. All the great players they have, maybe some of the guys have passed him, like Derrick Henry, right, or Trent Rich, uh, uh, Richardson um, uh, that, that played there uh, recently. But all these great running backs that came out of there, he's one of the greats. And then he goes to the NFL, and I think to this day he's still got 10,000 career rushing yards, all, over 100 rushing touchdowns, like sneaky, very sneaky, very quietly um, just really ran his way through the record books and rushed for a lot of yards, a lot of production, and made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, we, we never talk about him now. Anytime they talk about him, we talk about the, past, the grades of the past 15, 20 years. You always hear your Adrian Petersons. You yeah. always hear maybe your Matt Fortes. Nobody brings up Sean Alexander. Because he's a very humble young man. He's very nice and soft-spoken. But Sean was one heck of a football player now. Yeah. So I have a question. So how did you pivot from um, kind of locally in Cincinnati to go into a national role? Because I did a lot of pro sports here in Cincinnati. Um, I always say that had I been in maybe any other market, I don't know that I would have had the opportunity to get on the air um, without having great experience, but I was in a small to mid-sized level market in Cincinnati where, you know, they give you a photographer to go work with. Okay, whatever you do, Saul, and you, you know, I played with the Bengals here, so I had some notoriety, and I could write. So I started as a, as a editor, then as a producer, and then when you're doing that, you're doing a lot of the writing. So I would write um, scripts for the highlights for our news anchor. I would write um, feature stories on uh, people around town who are local sports heroes. And then my anchor, uh, the main anchor, would voice over those articles. And then I would do the editing. And so sooner or later, he was like, you know what? You do it. You do it. You're good enough. You just do it. So I was already doing the work. And he was kind enough to just like, you know what? You do it. You do the stand up. And now that's how I got on air. And then I started doing uh, so much that. Um, uh, I, I know, I'll never forget this. I had an agent. She said, look, there's a guy that he wants you to be part of the Fox studio pregame show. I was like, really? So I go out and I audition and his name was Roy Hamilton. He didn't know I grew up watching him play because he played uh, at UCLA. He was a basketball player, former first round pick for the Detroit Lions. True story. But he chose me to do that show. I did it for one year. And the very next year, I get hired by ESPN as a true reporter, as a journalist that covered all sports. So I end up for ESPN, I covered the NBA Finals. Uh, I covered Major League Baseball. I covered PGA Tour events. And obviously, I got to do Sunday night football with Mike Patrick, Paul McGuire, and Joe Theismann, where I would later win an Emmy Award. So at that point, I'm pinching myself. <laughs> I, I heard. Do you, um, do you know uh, Johnny Holiday? You know that name? That name it rings a bell. Where do I? Where would I know him from? He, he's called the the Maryland Terrapins for like forty years. He used okay, to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he told me a story a couple weeks ago. It might have been maybe a month ago. And he said he's he's always been good buddies with Thiesman. Apparently, they used to do this charity basketball league. And so this is while Thiesman was on Washington. And apparently, Thiesman and Art Monk both per participated in. It, and apparently, Thiesman dropped like eighty. So they're like, yeah, this guy's a pretty good athlete. <laughs> <laughs> great athlete. Yeah. Great athlete. Yeah. He's a great golfer. 
And Joe is one of those guys that, you know, he was so good to me um, during those years. And I'm just a sideline reporter. And he and, and Mike Patrick and Paul McGuire, they were all just so good to me. And Joe just always would give me some of the best advice. And I absolutely love him. Uh, he's still one of the guys that I really, truly look up to because I know that he could have behaved in any form or fashion because he's a legend, right? Joe, Joe's a legend. And he was just always so wonderful and just treated me with the greatest of kindness, both he and his wife, Robin. I have a question. So while you were ESPN, when you were covering from NBA to basically everything, was there a moment that you, you were like, you had to kind of like take, take it all in. You're like, I can't believe I'm standing here. Oh yeah. You know, I'm covering the NBA finals and it was Greg Popovich's first year playing in the championship. Okay. They're playing the Portland trailblazers blazers. We had a deep team. I mean, they were deep. Um, and you know, all the great players, um, on both of those teams, remember Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr was on those, um, San Antonio Spurs teams and David Robinson, obviously. And, you know, and Tim Duncan, I had covered when he was at wake and now he's playing in the NBA. Now he's got the hair. You seem to be, yeah, I, don't know, I don't know what that is, but he can do whatever he wants. He's the greatest oh, he cowboy of all time. He, he was always great. But here I am covering, you know, I grew up a basketball fan. Even I was a basketball fan before I even was an NFL fan. And so now I've come full circle. My first love, basketball, college basketball, covering the NCAA tournament, going to dinner with Bobby Knight. He's talking football. I'm talking basketball because I would have picked his brain about his time at West Point. And he ended up coaching Mike Krzyzewski at West Point. And all the, it's all, it was just wonderful to be around great coaches regardless of the sport because what I found out is great coaches have a way of motivating people. And um, whether it was football or basketball, these guys all shared something in common. And that's why a guy like Bobby Knight and Bill Parcells were the best of friends and still are even later in their lives. I have a question. So you, you pivoted from, from Fox to ESPN to CBS. Now you're doing serious and pro football focus. Is it, was it different or is it still kind of the same thing you're used to? Yeah, yeah. After 25 years in broadcasting, because I also worked at NFL Network. I've worked at over in London for Sky Sports. Did you do it from here? Over, were you over there based over I, there? I go over to London and I do the pregame show. And so I, you know, I'm like, I, so I went from Compton to London, you know, <laughs> my whole life. It's taken me, taken me quite, quite far. Um, but, you know, Chris Collinsworth, he owns um, uh, Pro Football Focus, PFF, and our, um, our CEO, he's a Brit. Neil Hornsby is just a great man with a great mind, a great love for our game of NFL football, for our brand of, of sport. And so, you know, we're just a bunch of passionate people. We're kind of nerdy about the game, right? We dive deep into the data, and data analytics is our thing. And it's helped me to even see the game in a different light and understand it and articulate it in a different way. And so I'm just having the time of my life um, working with PFF, writing articles on our website at pff.com and coming on doing shows like I'm doing with you and talking about the work that we do and talking about the great sport that I've always loved, and that's NFL. And so uh, this offers me another platform to be able to do that. Are there any guys when you're seeing these advanced analytics that you thought were doing phenomenal and you look at the numbers, you're like, wait, why, why did I think that? This guy's doing horrible. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I, I never look at players, you know, horrible, good. So a player that I, I just hear people talking so bad about him, and then I go and look at the, at the data. I know I've watched him play, and I said, look, every time I know a guy play, he wins. He wins. Because that's the job. I'm talking quarterback now. When you play quarterback, the job is to win games. He wins. His winning percentage is second only to Tom Brady in the NFL right now. And the data supports him. He is He's perfect. And that's the reason why Kyle Shanahan wanted Jimmy Garoppolo. He's second? Right? Second. Winning percentage. Wow. Yes. Well, remember, as soon as he gets to San Francisco, couldn't spell win. As soon as he gets there, he wins five in a row. He gets the big contract. That contract now looks like a bargain. At the time when he signed it, everybody's like, what are you doing? Well, guess what? That's how smart John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were. They knew who he was. They knew what they wanted. He came out. He won right away. And then the next year, he blows his knee out. Okay, now it looks like, oh, wow. Came back the next year, takes him to the Super Bowl. <laughs> he just keeps winning. When he plays, he just keeps winning. And he was one throw away. I know everybody's looking at it. What about the many throws he made throughout the season? Uh, I saw him in a game last year at the Superdome against the New Orleans Saints. Okay. That was a game when I said, okay, this guy's got the goods. He, you know, he learned a lot from Tom Brady. He doesn't shy away from big moments. Yeah, he missed on the one in the Super Bowl, but look at the ones he made all season long and all of those big games. The guy has been phenomenal, and he's still relatively young. So I think if Bill Belichick signed off on this guy and didn't want to give him up, by the way. He was made to give him up, right? Remember, he was made to give him up. Yeah. Bill Belichick, I guarantee you, if he, had, if he can have one guy right now, I guarantee you, quietly between me and you, he would want Jimmy Garoppolo back. Yeah, that's wild. I think he's pretty happy with Cam right now. We'll, we'll see how that gets that guy. I, I agree. <laughs> but remember, yeah. he drafted Jimmy G. Yeah. He, you know, he stood on the table for Jimmy G, and the owner says, we got to trade him because we, we're going to lose him. And he was like, well, we don't have to. We can lose the other guy. We, I want to keep him. And the owner says, no. The other guy is the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. So, no. And, and so, But Jimmy G had three guys in a room. Those three guys – are um, are the owner, uh, Bob Kraft, the head coach, Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady. Those three great men are in a room together arguing who stays, who goes, and they're talking about Jimmy G. <laughs> Think about that for a second. It's wild. Yeah, I don't. It feels like it was so long ago that people don't remember. But it's, it's wild. Yeah, I'm. He was this close in the Super Bowl. Struggle a little bit um, in week one against Kyler Murray, but you, you're, you're going to see them get back to it. But, yeah. So you'll, I start, be, you'll be fine. You'll oh, be yeah. Fine. So, so I have a question. So, basically, you're looking at – doing a lot of analytics. Who's a team this year that you're like, okay, these guys are going to do a lot better than people expect? You know, you saw them last night, Pittsburgh Steelers. So, for instance, you look at the AFC. Everybody loves Kansas City. I love Kansas City. But if you looked at one other team that might say, hey, we're not, we're not afraid of them, it would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. All the other teams, ah, you know, all the other ones, it's like the Chiefs are the bullies on the block. And I'm not trying to – I can't find a team out there who can go toe-to-toe, blow-for-blow with Patrick Mahomes and that whole group. Pittsburgh Steelers. Just keep that in mind. 
with Ben Roethlisberger and with Minka Fitzpatrick and with that defense and that front seven, the Steelers are the only team in the NFL per our database at PFF to have 50 or more sacks each of the last three seasons. They've generated more pressure on the opposing quarterback than any other team during that time frame. And as you saw, Bud Dupree, T.J. Watt. He was incredible. Dupree, you keep hearing his name. There you go. He was amazing. And and, and if you look at what the work Cameron Hayward does in the middle, because he's the reason why they get singled up on the outside. And for nine straight years, Cameron Hayward has been the guy putting in the dirty work in the middle, which isn't easy in a 3-4 front. Um, They can bring it now. And uh, by the time you watch Devin Bush in his second year, this guy's going to be a star within the middle of that defense. So the defense is ascending. Ben Roethlisberger is right there and ready to kind of finish off his career with some great moments. And now if these young wide receivers um, can really get it going, I, I think they'll be able to go toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the one team that hasn't shied away from the Chiefs, okay, and Andy Reid. Now we'll just have to see how they play them now that – They've got this guy named Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. <laughs> yeah, he's, pre- he's pretty good. I, th- I think he'll get a nice paycheck. Um, no, yeah, but this has, been, this has been awesome. So I just wanted to, to thank you again for chatting for a few minutes. And then for people that want to find you on social media, how can they find you? Go to at Solomon's Wisdom on Twitter, at Solomon's Wisdom. Um, and you can go to pff.com to read the wonderful content that we write there. I write on the site. But we have wonderful data analysts. It's going to make you a smarter fan if you are in fantasy oh my goodness you're getting ready to blow away the competition if you're into gaming and leveraging our data to go in and and wager a prop bet a friendly prop bet right but not too much don't break the piggy bank we've got great information that can help you as a fan see the game at an entirely more intelligent level absolutely yeah no it's it's phenomenal it's phenomenal i got one last question for you Who's your MVP favorite? Who's your MVP favorite for this year? Uh, okay. Patrick Mahomes was not the MVP one year ago. I know everybody probably thinks he was because he, he should have been, maybe could have been. It was Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes, probably leader in the clubhouse. Sneaky good. Even if you look at him week one, he outplayed Patrick Mahomes. Russell Wilson. Write that one down. He's always at the top. Every single week, every single year, he's taking his team to the playoffs seven of the eight years that he's been there. The guy is just quietly one of the best quarterbacks our league has ever seen, and I think he's going to be in the MVP conversation. It'll be one of those two guys, Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson. They let him throw this year. The league better watch out. So, there you go. We'll if see. they let him throw more on first down, they'll score more points. Yeah. Check yeah. it out. Yeah, absolutely. They should have been uh, – I think they liked throwing too much in that one big game a couple years ago, and they've kind of switched to the run since then. But this, yeah. has been a, this has been a blast. I just want to thank you again, and I'll put all your I'll, – I'll, I'll, I'll redirect everybody to your stuff so they can check out your work and catch up with what you're doing. But this has been a blast. I just want to thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Zach. All the best to you. Keep up the good work, okay? Appreciate it, man. Thank you.
Yeah, we got plenty. 